Hey, awesome nerds, and welcome to D&D and TV, the seventh episode of our Rewatch podcast talking about different TV shows where we take themes and concepts from each of them and turn them into role-playing game concepts and um, genres. We are currently watching Invincible, and we're up to episode seven, We Need to Talk. I'm your host, Jeremy Vine, and I am joined with the friendliest Viking in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, Mike, a.k.a. Dr. Chops. Hello, nerds. God, this is a good episode, isn't it, Jeremy? Like, the, the curtain really gets pulled back on this one. Yeah, there's a reason why the penultimate episode is one of the best. It really is. Mm-hmm. This is the one where everything comes to a head, and then you have to wait another week before the last one comes out. Oh, totally. Uh, but this episode. In this episode, feeling lost and confused, Mark looks for advice from Eve. At the same time, everyone's looking for him. It was directed by Jeff Allen and written by Simon Rassiopa. Uh, and the episode is called We Need to Talk. Which, that is an understatement in this episode. Mm-hmm. That synopsis, total oh. understatement. Oh, for sure. It's... Um this episode is definitely the episode where, um, I mean, because obviously we as the viewers of the show have known everything from the start, right? I mean, yeah, we, we've known the what. We didn't necessarily knew the, know the why, but that put us a, a far way ahead of all the characters, the ignorant characters in the show that didn't know the what or the why or the who, you know? We knew the what and the why and the who and the when. We did not know the why. I correct myself there. <laughs> um, but this is the episode where things start to unravel, you know? Um, well, last last episode we saw that Debbie and Nolan had it out, that she accused him of killing the Guardians and he didn't deny it. And they had a big fight. And Mark and Amber had a big fight because he, well, he nicked off during a supervillain battle to turn up again as Invincible, but she doesn't realise that. So, yeah, all these things have been set into motion, and this is the episode where, well, we still don't learn the why, but everyone finds out. Mm-hmm. And it actually, it's a, it's a good point to reference here, actually, um, picking up on what you said there about, uh, you know, Debbie and Nolan had had a fight, fight. Um, so has Mark and Amber, you know, they've had their fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a big, big old several fight scenes in the last episode as well. And um, the opening of this episode really gave me the feelings that I get at the start of a D&D session after a very, very big calamitous, um, you know, campaign arc conclusion session, mm. right? Uh, if you've ever played, you know, um, that kind of a session, I'm sure you have multiple times, but to our listeners out there, um, if you've ever been a part of or if you've ever run a D&D campaign and the timing of certain events can have an impact. And if you have a big boss fight or a big reveal uh, or a very big uh, conflict event at the end of a session, at the very end of a session, and then stop it there. When you start the next session, everyone is a little bit lost and uh, you know, it's a bit harder um, to be able to hook them back into that session and rebuild the interest straight away because they've just had the peak. They peaked like last week, you know, a week ago, seven full days is when they had that, you know, apex moment of the storyline and the campaign and the boss battle. They know that nothing they can, nothing you as a DM can do 
I mean, they think they know. Nothing you can do as a DM can do in this session will match what happened when they peaked seven full days ago. So they feel a little bit lost. And dare I say it, some of them might even feel a little bit disinterested. Um, I think that there's, they're always going to feel a little bit curious uh, and whatnot. But that, those are the vibes I got from this, the start of this episode here. Because it was quite a peak seven days before watching this episode. Yeah. You know what I mean? And when in this episode... Mark and Amber aren't talking and we're exposed to the awkwardness in the car ride with, you know, those two and William and Amber refusing to talk to him. Um, you know, then we see Debbie and Nolan, you know, they're having their tiff and, you know, Debbie refuses to, you know, let him rebuild that bridge at all. Um, so it definitely gives me that vibe of the, you know, the first session of a D&D game after the peak or after the, uh, the apex arc in the session prior. Do you agree? I... I totally agree with that. I feel that it is where everything's been on pause and you've kind of got this little bit of a breather and there's also that fatigue of you've just had this huge battle and now everyone's just like, where do we stand right now? Like, what are we doing? Like, what happened last time that has led us to this? I'm not quite sure. I have plans for me. I know what I'm doing. Like, I want to loot that body. I don't know what everyone else is because I'm not not quite focused on it. And, yeah, I, I get what you mean because we see, like, a few people here in this opening section. It's kind of the morning after. That would have been a great episode title for this one as well because we see Debbie and Nolan and they're still dealing with the fallout of him punching the wall and, like, his her accusations and the silence in the car um, of Mark, Amber, and Will. And we also see Eve actually, because Eve, again, had a big fight with her parents in the last episode and flew off and decided to help the rainforest and, and all these things. But we see her wake up, and it's just like, these are their mornings. She's waking this is up, how they're she's starting happy, their day. she's in a good mood, you know. Everything's going yeah. just the way she wants it to be. Yeah, she has no idea what's going on in the rest of the world. It's great. Mm-hmm. But it is. It's kind of that everything's been on pause, and now we just see how where the fallout's going to be. Oh, totally. Uh, and, yeah, we get to pick it up. To credit the um, the way they did this episode, they, from at least from, from my subjective um, perspective here, they brought, me, they brought me right back into it very, very quickly in a very good way. Um, and that was mm. by, you know, a couple of scenes that, you know, were a little bit surprising or shocking or just purely enjoyable to watch, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that was obviously the first one where Nolan, you know, is talking with Debbie in the morning and they're having their fight and he admits to her, yeah. okay, look, you know, I killed the Guardians. But I did yeah. it for I did it for a reason. you got to trust me. I'm not going to tell you what that reason and is. And a good reason too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good one though. But he refuses to explain it. He's just like, I did it because it was the right thing to do and I demand that you trust me. And Debbie, to her credit, no superpowers, no ability to challenge this guy if he decides to throw a tantrum whatsoever. Someone that by all rights should be terrified and shaken in her boots turns around and says, get out of my house to Nolan. <laughs> she tells Omni-Man, get out of my house. That's like, you know, Lois Lane telling Superman, um, you know, hand over your wallet and, uh, you know, hand over your wallet and the keys to your car. <laughs> whatever and uh you know oh you know that clark kent would do that as soon as lois yeah, says i need your car example. he's already likes it do you, don't even fill it up I'll, I've, it's already got gas in it just go okay 
it is okay. The equivalent of I know what you mean though. Alfred, <laughs> Alfred telling Bruce yes. Wayne, "Put on the jester hat and dance." <laughs> okay, dance, bridge boy, dance. Yeah, but so Debbie, you know, displays incredible yep. courage and tells Nolan, tells Iron Man, "Get the hell out of my house! How dare you lie to me?" And he does. And then next, well, scene, he flies through the roof. Yeah, yeah, is the point. It's like we've been going through like earlier. I've said that this is this show is a metaphor for domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Omni Man is this tyrant, and he's kind of passing it on to the next generation of Mark. That Mark's kind of figuring this out, and a lot of it is what we'll see with um, well, this mental abuse that he seems to almost kind of put Debbie into mm-hmm. through this whole Guardians arc. And I feel that this is an example of it. He could have just left through the door, mm-hmm. but he wants to make a statement, so he flies through the roof. Yeah, and that's that little bit of "I am more powerful than you, and I always will be." Mm-hmm. Just remember that I could kill you, and I'm choosing not to. So there's that there's that element there. Mm-hmm. Fuck, I hate Nolan. I fucking hate him. Um, turns out that throughout the entire scene, they were surrounded by invisible global defense um, soldiers. Um, that choose that. I mean, moment. we could be surrounded by them right now. Yeah, very, very possibly. Um, you know, I've, I've, I have a good deal of pity for GDA soldiers if they have a chance to check my browser history. Um, <laughs> but you know, they come out of invisibility after Only Man's left, and they grab um, you know Donald's there in particular, I believe, and um, they basically say, "Hey, come with us. We'll keep you safe." And uh, they yeah. teleport away with Debbie. Well, that's a. I think uh, she gives tries to call Mark first. Yeah, and so um, and that, and that but, was yeah, and she keeps getting voicemail because he's busy. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good interesting scene to rebuild some interest again at the start mm. of an episode where you might feel a bit lost straight away, immediately as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Mark and Amber have are having their tiff. Um, you know, as they're driving back from that university visit. And Amber's refusing to speak to him. She's broken up with him. He's upset. He still wants to make things right. Uh, so he waits for her to get into a house. And then he gets into invincible costume. And he's waiting for her there in her bedroom. And he's like, hey, big reveal. Classy. Amber, this is why I lied to you. This is why I disappeared in all those critical moments. And I need to tell you this. Please you know, please understand I did what I did because I'm invincible. And she's like, yeah, I knew, I know, I don't give a shit. I figured it out a few weeks ago. Oh my God. It's okay. This is why I'm always late or why I don't show. Because I'm off saving lives or stopping some bad guys or going to Mars. <laughs> I wanted to tell you so many times. Uh, did you hear what I just said? Ugh, I know you're a superhero. You know? You you know? I'm not an idiot. I figured it out weeks ago. Then why are we fighting? We're fighting because you lied to me. You made me feel stupid and unimportant. It's a secret identity. And because you don't trust me. I'm trusting you now. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, it's cute you think that's enough. But, Amber! Fly away, flyboy. Or take the stairs. I really don't give a shit. You know. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay, this wait a second. Am- <laughs> Amber is so fucking hot in this sequence because she does not care a fucking bit about Mark at all. And she does say, you are not good at keeping a secret, which is what I've been saying this whole whole season. Mark is so bad at lying to her. Of course she's going to figure it out. She's fucking, she's smart. Mm-hmm. And then the, she explains what she's mad at him about, which is so great. 
because in the last episode he said, I am done lying to you. Mm-hmm. And then he disappears and comes back as invincible and then does not tell her a thing. He continues to lie to her. And that's why she's so mad. Mm-hmm. It's like, I love that so much that she has seen through all of his bullshit and he continues to stay on his bullshit. And she said, no, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. And as someone that's read the comics, yeah. does it work? Does, did it work? Did it unfold that way in the comics as well? Um, I vaguely remember this arc. I remember it being a lot longer. Um, there was a lot more of what you refer to as the superhero soap, soap opera bullshit. Oh, uh, yeah. But I'm pretty certain there was more of a triangle with Eve throughout it. Yeah, right. Uh, that Eve was friends with Amber and she was interested in Mark and Mark was interested in her, but he was with Amber. And they were on and off again, but it became this thing between them all and eventually i think amber did figure it out uh before mark actually told her and she was just like yeah i know mm-hmm. but they got to college before it actually really became an issue yeah i mean in the co- in the comics amber is also white and blonde so there's been a bit of adaptation oh, okay uh, so that was two good scenes at the start of the episode to you know capture the attention of the viewer a little bit yeah you know what i mean um yeah so that did very well for me to you know sit up in my chair again and be like okay this one's going to be a good one like there are things happening that i care Mm -hmm. about straight away you know where a bit we then see that the new guardians team are having a welcome back party for monster girl yeah she was injured man yeah i mean i care about monster girl i care about the entire team except for one team member rex who is still seven episodes in still a dick see i thought you were going to say you don't care about duplicate number seven like once she's got seven clones going, the seventh one you don't care. Uh, no, lucky number seven's good. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. I see. I I like Rex in this scene. It finally shows that he's. It's a really great moment because Monster Girl comes back in and, and she's all like, "Wow, no one actually seems to care that I'm back at all." And then they throw a surprise party, and they're all like, "Yeah, we're so glad you're back." And Rex has filled milk cartons with beer so everyone can have a drink and he's put little photos of monster girl in her her teen or pre-teen girl format on the back of them like she's a missing child it's like that's a lot of work for what is essentially a co-worker and for just the the one joke samson calls out he's just like man i wonder why i can't put this much effort into your training exercises because that's not funny it's it's basic tune rules. You can only do it when it's funny. Or when it benefits him. That's true. That's true. You know? Well no, he's he since he got his ass kicked by Monster Girl, I feel he's got he's a bit of a connection with them. They're the two bruisers of the team. They're the ones that are actually doing a lot of damage. Does Rex actually do a lot of damage? I must have missed that. Well yeah, he makes things explode. Yeah, I mean I, I, I don't know if I've like if this is subconscious bias. I don't remember Rex being effective in any fight I've seen him in so far. That would be fair. He, no, he did all right against um, against Battle Beast and all the guys in in Machine Head's penthouse. But that was after you know everyone else had their asses kicked. Yeah, right. I mean, there's a reason why he got picked for the Guardians in the first place. He's clearly got some hidden depths. I mean, deep, 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 deep down. Obviously, there's something that Robot likes about him. Yeah, maybe so. Um, 
And to be fair, he is voiced by one of the most amazing amazing actors in the business. Yeah, yeah. But you are, are also right in that there is something that Robot likes about Rex. Oh, yeah. And this is the big is reason indeed. why he got picked for the team. <laughs> I think you might have just mm-hmm. uh, kind of shot your argument there in the foot, pal. I think there's only one reason Robot wanted Rex in the team. And that was so he had him I think it was very good reason, hand yeah. and be able to steal his DNA, which he did. Yes. And uh, yes, this is because also kind of where we find out what he stole it for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we see um, Robot has a bit of a glitch when he's saying he's glad that uh, the Monster Girl is back. He says, no, no, it's just a temporary error that's going to be fixed. And what we see is he's actually connected to a, a robot drone that's arriving in a truck to the twi- the warehouse where the Mauler twins are and where they've been um, cloning shit, for want of a better term. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the Mauler twins, this truck arrives in their warehouse and they're like, no, no, driver, out. We don't trust you. And then they shoot the windscreen and he just doesn't even flinch because he's actually a hologram. Uh, and the whole thing is controlled by Robot, and Robot gets out of the rear of the truck, and then this containment pod on spider legs just kind of clip-clops down the ramp, um, and it's got a, a, I guess, a fetus? I don't know what the real, the best way to describe what's uh, in the containment pod. Have you got anything? It's just an incredibly deformed um, human person. Um, you know, yeah. someone that would have been born with either one incredibly complex or a whole laundry list of uh, physical deformities um, or physical disabilities that, you know, result in um, deformation um, of the, uh, of the human body. Um, If I was to um, use an insensitive allegory here, I'll say, imagine, maybe we shouldn't imagine a fat elephant man. And uh, okay. That is pretty much what we have floating in the tank, hooked up to life support. Yes, but yeah. And this clues the um, clues the Mola twins in that they've actually been growing this person a new body. That's why they've been hired to create a clone of of Rex, because that's what we discover that it is um, is in fact Rex, and um, that the the blueprints for a control collar. Um, uh, to be given to the Mola twins. It's perfect. We are professionals. Except for the timed release mycotoxin sacs, the embedded cortical override, and the seven, oops, sorry, eight synaptic transceivers. Maybe I'm old fashioned, but I prefer to be the only person in control of my body. Please, I would have been disappointed if you hadn't tried. Remove all of that, add in this small upgrade of my own design, and we can discuss your payment. Even once they're um, successful, I should say. Yeah, so the, the yeah that collar meant to be um, an all powerful slave collar, pretty much to dominate mm-hmm. the will of whoever wears it. So, um, so the Mola twins basically hero or to, villain. Yeah, yeah, they're basically going to get to get a tool to control whoever the hell it is they want to control. Um, you know, once they have the body of that person, and speaking of bodies of certain persons. Uh, at the end of the last episode, we saw the Mola twins digging up the body, the body of the immortal. Indeed, indeed. But we'll get Which to is, that in ooh. a few moments. We're not yes, quite there look, yet. There is one other thing. There is one other thing that um, I guess the robot uh, wants to be. Well, they disintegrate the robot drone that has been going around, so it's just 
just him and the Mauler twins and basically says, if you want to come at me, come at me. You've got to trust me. I'm, I'm here defenseless now. This is a, a reason to trust me. But what I want in that clone body is a neural link. And that kind of ties in with a later scene that's going to happen in the episode. And it's kind of an important one too, I feel. Mm-hmm. Because it does create some interesting ideas. But then we, I love that we jump between these, ooh, what's going to happen with those? Let's go back to Will and Mark. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to the talky-talky stuff. And this was, this was a, good, uh, a good discussion that they're having right here. Um, if I was to boil it mm. down, because, okay, so Mark is down in the dumps and he's sad and he's depressed. And Mark is sad. Yeah, Mark is a very sad. He's um, sad divincible now. Um, invincible, <laughs> sad. I don't know. There's a there's a pun invincible in there somewhere. Sad. Um, Cheer up, emo kid. Pretty much. And by the way, you know the title screen. Like whenever invincible, the word comes up as the title screen. Um, is that getting yeah. bloodier every episode? I think it is. Oh yes, yes it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm only I only picked up on this one. Um, oh, wow. But yeah, so Mark is like super sad, and he's talking to Will, and he's like, you know. Um, I'm a, I'm a shit guy. Look at what I've done. I had everything. I threw it away. Woe is me. I wish I could get Amp back somehow. And William basically turns around and William basically says, Hey. Okay, stop. Enough with the sulking, you big baby. What? You can fly. You're invulnerable. Your dad's the greatest superhero on earth and your mom loves and cares about you. You just need to study and you can pull up your grades. But you were a terrible boyfriend to Amber and you got what you deserved. Sorry, not sorry. If I can deal with almost losing the hottest guy I've ever had, you can deal with this. What? Friends tell friends the truth. Not like that, they don't. I just got dumped, dude. You got dumped weeks ago. You just didn't realize it. You're like a bad guy in a samurai movie who gets cut in half but thinks they're fine until they're like, oh my god, my top half's sliding away from my bottom half. I love you, man, but I need someone else to talk to. Sort your shit out, dude. I mean, yeah. you know, he gave him a verbal slap around the face going, get a hold of yourself, man. Um, but he was like, you know. It's like, stop sulking. You have superpowers. Mm. And it's like, you know, you, um, and, he, and he kind of plays the whole, look at what happened to you. You think what's happened to you is bad. The guy that I was in love with just got torn apart and made into a cyborg and I'm never going to see him again. You know, my situation is worse than yours. But look at me. I'm doing just fine. If I can do just fine, you can do just fine. Because you not only have, like, someone that you're in love with that's still fucking alive, you've got superpowers. So just get a hold of yourself, Mark. And Mark's just like... Oh, poor Will. Yeah. And Mark's just like, man, I need to talk to someone that's going to treat me better. And he flies away to fight Eve. But that was really cool, right? It's a little bit like, you know, you're not going to understand, Will. You don't have superpowers. You don't know what I'm going through. Fly away. Get fucked, Mark. But I'm going to bring that back to the D&D table. um, Because you know what that gave me vibes of? Is when Hmm. two players are having a moment dealing with one of those players' character arcs. And they just don't really mm. give a shit about it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's like you have yeah. the, the the paladin and the barbarian sitting down and talking, and they're just the paladin's like, you know, I'm having a real crisis of faith. You know, I know that I'm meant to be going into that forest to kill the druids, 
that are preventing us from getting the mystical tree sap that's going to save everybody in the village over there that's got the plague and blah 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 and uh the druids are not evil they're just defending something that is sacred to them and uh i don't know if i can do that as a paladin it makes me sad that i'm going to have to do that then the barbarian is just like okay fine fuck it don't kill the druids let the village die like i give a shit i'm just here to wield an axe get a hold of yourself paladin <laughs> you know it gave me vibes of two D D players talking to each other and one of them just doesn't really care about the other one's character arc <laughs> at that stage hey yeah yeah just like that's rough buddy well <laughs> I, I i'm just here to hit things i'm not particularly interested in what's going on with you i think we're looking for two kind it's... of different campaigns here dude <laughs> i'm here for kicking the door uh, kill the villains get the loot you're here for well not so much the dice rolling i guess <laughs> <laughs> i love it i'm just like i'm glad that someone everyone's telling mark to to suck it in just sat base up mark mm-hmm. people have got it tough you've got it pretty damn good mm-hmm. so far and everything also everything that he has done has been his fault mm-hmm. that all these things all these problems have been of his own creation mm-hmm. of course the next the next problems coming for him will not be of his own creation but he doesn't know that yet so it's a nice little no he is the creation of those problems <laughs> that's right that's right because mm-hmm. our next scene is debbie at the gda headquarters where she's talking with cecil um basically and cecil's just like yeah um i already know that nolan's the murderer so um, kind of figured that one out and we have no idea how to stop him so the only thing we're relying on is the fact that mark might not be evil mm-hmm. they hope yeah, like, and he says it straight to Debbie. She's, he's just like, hey, you yeah. know, we're going to need Mark to kill Nolan for us, probably. Yeah. FYI, Debbie. So uh, where is he, Debbie? <laughs> and Debbie's like, no, no, not my son. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's going to have to kill his dad. I love this because this feels like towards the end of the campaign when you realize just what the stakes are against you. And in this situation, Mark is the party where somebody's told, you're going to have to step up. We don't know what, how this is going to fall out. Let's hope that you're up to the task. Mm-hmm. And all the NPCs like, we believe in you. You can do it. And the party's like, oh, shit, it's up to us. I guess some of us might die now. Mm-hmm. But the big bad is coming. And we know the big bad is super powerful. What's plan so, B? Yeah, I like oh, there ain't no plan B. <laughs> uh no i i do like it and i do like that the next scene we have is nolan at mount everest yeah who's who's he he's talking who is he rehearsing to is it debbie or mark do you think i think it's mark yeah he's talking to mark or he's practicing talking to mark he's trying to explain to mark this is what i did Mm. i killed the guardians of the globe wait before you say anything just listen please i'm not a monster i didn't want to do it but it had to be done it was my responsibility other people won't understand that but i know you can what i'm about to tell you will change everything 
Just remember, you're my son, and I love you and your mother more than... <sighs> what am I doing? Um, and I feel that he doesn't actually... He he has all these, like, ways of saying, and he's like, you'll come to understand in time, and this is... He doesn't actually say what he did. Mm. That, that things are about to change, but, you know, I love you, Mark. I love you, Debbie. Or I love your mother as well. And then he's just like... <sighs> And flies off. Mm-hmm. So again, he's not explaining himself. He's just uh, saying no. this is the way things are. So you know, buckle up. You know. Again, he's not explaining himself. He's not trying to make Mark understand. He's telling you this is the way things will be. Mm-hmm. It's like these are the reasons I did my actions, and you can understand or not. But this is the truth. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Yeah, I. I can't like Nolan. <laughs> it's it's hard. even when he's explaining himself even when he's trying to be sympathetic i was like nah jk simmons in this role is outstanding it's like he is amazing in every role like i saw some clips of him in spider-man and it's like it's perfect in that and i'm re-watching season four of veronica mars as well and he's in that as just this this criminal completely different role from this one i would not have remembered that they're the same guy mm. because the the delivery of these lines is so different. He feels like a dad unable to express himself to a child in this scene. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he just steps into Nolan incredibly well. I, as know, much as I hate Nolan, I think this is a great scene. There might be quite a few of our listeners out there that are dads themselves. And you know what? There may come a time when you have to explain to your child why you murdered a uh, team full of able-bodied crime fighters. And uh, I hope you remember this when that time comes and you do a better job of explaining to your child why you are a mass murderer. Yes. Yes. Just remember, start preparing now. Mm-hmm. Because it's only it's inevitable. The first step <laughs> is to pick your victim. Um, we should probably go on to the next scene now, I think. I think we should. I think we should. Back to the Mauler twins. <laughs> yes, I love this. This is the the scene that I... Well, it's really one of my favourite scenes in the episode because this is when we see um, the transfer of a brain into a new body. We saw it earlier when the, the Mauler twins do it, but now we see it from robot. We're going to call him robot for now. Mm-hmm. The perspective of the... I keep saying fetus. I feel that's probably the from from the deformed body to the cloned body mm-hmm. uh and we see that there is kind of this crossover element that they both look up and like raise a hand and it's like double vision that they're seeing both instances of the same and the Mauler twins freak out because the machine is not designed for a mind of that level Mm. The system wasn't designed for neurons this dense. Are you calling us stupid? Yes, I'm calling us stupid. It's like, yes, he's calling you stupid. We are stupid compared to this guy. So we've got to fix the damn thing or we're going to, he's going to die and we're not going to get paid. Mm-hmm. And I start to wonder, maybe the one that who's a little bit more stupid is usually the clone. 
Yeah. Uh, could I take this moment to take things back to the D&D table again? You ever oh, had, please do. Uh, you ever had those kinds of players that like to um, openly and in front of everybody kind of poke potholes into the story and uh, oh, try, to, try to make the DM stumble a bit over, mm-hmm. you know, what, mm-hmm. the, what story has been woven and whatnot. I kind of want to do it in about this scene because I have questions and I'm not going to, I'm not going to phrase this as faults in the scene. I'm just going to put these forward as questions because there may be answers to these questions that I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Firstly, you know, this whole thing about the Molar twins, about how they create, create it so that the body is grown the original then lies down, hooks himself up to the machine on a different bed. And then they both wake up and neither of them are aware of which one is the original because of the clean slate thing, right? Yes. Wouldn't the original just remember which side of the room he laid down in? Yes, but the clone also remembers that. Yeah. So then the clone wakes up and then he sits up and then he realizes, oh shit, I'm on the other side of the room. I must be the clone. I mean, maybe that's why he hates it so much. Yeah, maybe. So you know, I mean, I, I mean, that's the question I have. I mean, is there a, is there a way that the Molar twins have developed of preventing the um, the clone knowledge from you know getting beyond just opening their eyes and realizing where they're positioned versus where they went to sleep? Um, I would say yes. I feel that that plot hole is actually for us as an audience to understand what's happening yep okay because when they wake up the first time the the clone that we saw not lie down the one that was put on the slab to begin with is the one that wakes up first and goes haha you're the clone right and i feel that that's specifically for the audience to realize oh he thinks he's not the clone and doesn't understand that there's any difference to it right okay so yeah, I feel that there's probably something. Kirkman's pretty smart. I feel that that's a, an obvious plot point. Not to dismiss your your reasoning. I feel like but... it's something that they would have had the time to address in the comics. Not necessarily had the time yes. to address it in the show. Um, I mean, if it's basically you could just spin them around in a centrifuge or something, so you don't actually know where you started off. Or, you know, you can only transfer when you're unconscious. Yeah, or it could be as simple as the last 30 minutes of the original's memory gets wiped um, during the transfer. Yeah. So neither the original nor the client has any idea of where they lay down to start the transfer. But, you know, something like that. Yeah. Secondly, when they started having that technical issue of, you know, this guy's brain is built differently because he's a deformed body, he's also a deformed brain... Um, well, it's not a deformed brain. He's an a- extra advanced brain. Well, yeah. When they were bringing up the scans, they were like, "Look at you know the the, the one of the cortexes or synapses or whatever they were talking about was way way denser and smaller uh, mm. than what theirs were." So they were like, you know, it's not built to handle synapses this dense or whatever. And so he pulls open the electric panel, and he hot wires a couple of wires together. Science. I would like Mr. Kirkman to explain how uh, the the wire, the hot wiring of those two particular wires, uh, resulted in being able to fix this uh, this brain synapse scanning limitation. Um, just just to satisfy my own curiosity. 
But um, no, no, it's science. That's how science works. Okay, okay. Actually, and you know, this is this to, is a good to point. be fair. I, this one, this one, I will point out. I don't believe that error was in the comics. I believe that was something that they just kind of went, "Cool, we'll just transfer yeah. you over." Yeah, and this yeah. may be some sort of element of tension that was created for the TV show to to create higher, this increase the stakes. Yeah, and you know what? This is also a good moment to explain that in a D and D game, you don't have to explain everything. You know, nope. magic. Yeah, like that does not have to be a rational explanation and a backstory and a scientific or mathematical foundation for all the things that are happening or happen in the world, you know, at some point. Mm. And, and, the, and Charlie Brooker, you know, the writer of the Black Mirror series, um, said this about one of his episodes where they had one of those virtual reality machines. And, you know, he was getting questioned in interviews about, you know, how does this work? How does that work? And at one point he just kind of threw his hands up and he says, I don't fucking know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it should or how or why it works. It's a magical technological machine that takes their mind and puts it in virtual reality. Who gives a fuck how it works? It's a TV show. It just works. So, and that translates over into Dungeons and Dragons. You do not, or any other tabletop role-playing game, really. Sometimes you might get pressed for explanations for things that simply do not require explanations. I will say, whenever someone starts to ask a little bit too much detail about things like this, I start to get suspicious. Mm. It's like, what has your character got planned that you need that much detail? And how are you trying to break the rules so you can do what you want? Because that is generally, has been my experience of that is what the outcome of that, those questions become. Mm Mm-hmm. And say, this is like, all right, so if I have a piece of bread, if I'm a sentient piece of bread and I cast Mage Hand, can I carry myself around? Because the rules say this way, and it never says that you can't carry yourself if you're below town. I'm just like, no, doesn't work. Magic. Mm -hmm. The gods are smarter than that. The gods know these things. The gods stop that happening. And in this case, it's the reverse. It's like, we don't know how the Mauler twins built their cloning device. Hot wiring, maybe that's the way they do everything. Maybe hot wiring is the only way to increase the power on this thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, hot wiring works. It sure does. Well done. Apparently the, the Mauler Twins are smarter than we give them credit for. It sure, yeah, well, and it gets the job done, 100%. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the, the brain copy or the soul copy, personality copy, whatever, it works. And uh, there are now two robots which are now no longer robots they're human beings except one of them is incredibly deformed and the other one is a preteen yeah well i like that um he even says he didn't realize there would be this crossover period that he what that he doesn't realize which one he is Mm. that it's like i didn't think i'd be the one to wake up and it's like well you have to be Mm mm-hmm because you are both the same individual. That's why they're the Mauler twins. That's why you've you haven't copied the brain over into something else. You've direct it's a it's cut and or it's um it's it's copy and paste. It's not cut and paste. Mm-hmm. You're not moving from brain from one body to another. The old one still exists. I mean, this is the whole thing about the prestige, spoiler for the prestige, that all those bodies the, at the end of the prestige, I'm just going to fucking keep spoiling the prestige because why not? <laughs> uh, you've seen it. It's right, like right, ten right, years right. old now, right? right? Oh, it's older than that. I saw it in, in university. Yeah, right? Right. so early. I'm not going to say you when I was in university. What the but hell? But I have seen it. Yes. Judge me. 
Yeah, so or in it that um, Hugh Jackman's character, whatever his face is, he basically develops what he calls a teleportation device. It's actually a cloning device where he clones himself and appears somewhere else. But the body that he uh, had on stage, he drops into a water tank and drowns. Because there's, a, there's, more pl- there's, there's more plot holes in the prestige than there are in Invincible, to tell the truth. But either way, it's the same thing. It's still the same person. That the the consciousness hasn't shifted. The consciousness has now been copied. And it's the same here. The Mauler twins are okay with it. And Robot, for want of a better word, I think they actually get a name later in the series, later in the episode, but realizes that taking the the deformed body out of um, out of the tank basically will not survive. And that's kind of the problem that he has to say goodbye to himself, knowing everything. It's like this is this is a dark scene to me. Yeah, and it's quite a turnaround um, because for the majority of the show so far, you know, because this is episode seven, and mm. for the previous six episodes, every time we have seen Robot, uh, we have seen the cold and emotionless, um, you know, mathematically inclined. Uh, you know, um, mechanical being with no emotions, um, and, 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 you know, doing some very sus things like stealing DNA and letting the Mola twins out of prison and lying to his teammates about what he's doing, etc. Um, you know, and crushing on a 12 year old looking, uh, monster girl as well. Um, yeah it kind of makes you feel like robot is um not as heroic as you know the in unit in the 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 tv show's universe would think he is right um but at this moment you know he um and i don't know if this is because he's a genuinely good person or because it's just because he's looking at himself dying uh but i feel like it seems to shine across that he is more of a good guy than what you know, we'd been led to, or what I feel we had been led to perceive. Um, you know, when he when he looks down at his deformed body that's dying, he cries and he says, "I'm sorry, it wasn't you." Yeah. And then the deformed body says back to him, "Don't be. This is what I want." And then he gives him his blessing to go forth and be the one that lives and goes onwards to live a happy and heroic life. Even the Mauler twins are choking back tears at that point. Did you notice? <laughs> I know. I know. That was actually really sweet. I do see that that's the point that the consciousness, the person lives on. So that that is kind of the point that the, the body that dies, does it really die if the person is still there? And I was like, there's, there's so many philosophical questions. <laughs> and this scene, I fucking love because what it was... just makes you think so much yeah, what was the 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 um the thing out of One Division, Theseus's ship? One Division, like One Division. Yeah, uh, the, the ship of Theseus. The, yeah, the ship of Theseus. If you replace every beam of wood and the sail and everything, if you replace every single piece of that ship over time, is it still the ship of Theseus? Is it still the ship of Theseus? So you know we've got a new body and yes. we've got a different consciousness that is still the same but different. Um, 
is it still robot? And I suppose yeah, the short answer, and this is a defined answer in the in the universe of the TV show. You know, this is the rule that you know that they have set. Yes, it is still robot. Well, hmm. see, that's interesting because, well, in a later scene, robot will get a name. Robot will call himself Rudy. Yeah. Um, which is giving himself more of an identity and the fact that his identity almost immediately shifted from what he already had. Mm-hmm. That he sees... He, like, the Mauler twins don't have names. There's not A and B. There is just the Mauler twins or a Mauler twin. Like, there's not Bob and Jeff. So that's, that's the thing, that they don't actually realise which one's the clone. There's no individuality between them. They are the same being. Whereas with Rudy and his and robot there is a very distinct difference because rudy's first experience is seeing robot die mm-hmm. so he is no longer the same being that robot was mm-hmm. and that and then he starts to develop more of a personality himself they don't continue on we are doing the same things we are the same individual they are very different individuals and now one is gone so we cannot ever be the same individual again and the fact that he then gives himself a name, I think, is really telling about that. That he now starts to become a new identity from what he was before. So he is no longer the ship of Theseus. He is the ship of someone else. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're, we're a rewatch podcast. We're not a philosophy podcast. <laughs> Bringing it into, into D&D and RPGs for this, I love kind of what happens next. Because after the original body dies, the the new clone body, Rudy, we'll call him Rudy because that's the name he'll decide on in a couple of scenes, says, okay, Mauler twins, now it's time for you to go back to prison. He does and the, uh, like, he does the double turn. Yeah. He's like, no, no, you're criminals. You've done the task I needed you for. It's time for you to go back. I release you for one reason and one reason alone. And they're like, um, excuse me, you're like a teenager and you don't have any superpowers. You're just some body. And he's like, actually, I'm a genius with 30 years worth of experience in a teenager's body. Also, that neural link that we had, you had put me in, put in me, that controls all the drones, including the truck, which is also a drone, a giant robot drone, which becomes a transformer and starts attacking them. And I love that because in this case, Rudy is the party. Mm-hmm. where you've got to sometimes make these deals with beings and creatures that are never all good. It's the deal with the mob boss who protects your local area. That he's not he may kill you, but he'd rather make some money off you first. Or the the hag who will give you the item you need to defeat the vampire, but will take something first and you kind of have to team up with them to to get what you want just as much as what they want even though you know it's such a bad idea to team up with them and i love that dynamic if you can get it into a game i feel that players will remember it all the time because it'll always be back in the mind if the bad guy gets away the the one they teamed up with gets away they're always going to be going oh we got to go back and deal with that person oh we got to do that we got to just remember we're going to get them eventually because we can't let a bad guy get away and as the game master, they always get away. 
you can always make sure they get away. And that's exactly what happens in this upcoming fight scene, that the Mauler twins eventually get away. Yeah. It was pretty cool to see a, uh, you know, a giant mech be smashing on uh, with Mauler twins for a while. But yeah, then yeah. they definitely do get, uh, you know, DM'd or MacGuffined away from getting defeated. Um, because I do think the Mauler twins were on the road to getting defeated in that fight um but oh they were well we'll go, we'll go through the fight very quickly there's some more stuff that happens in between but the fight is they're dodging they're running around and they realize that the drones and the giant robot are always going to block them from from attacking rudy directly and he's kind of hidden himself anyway so they managed to find out a way to get the gun that will take him out and one of them distracts the robot and the other one is able to just kind of take the shot like dash over and distract him enough to to get a line of sight on him and take the shot and the robot just manages to block it and the gun's destroyed in the attempt so they've got this one shot at doing it so they would have been defeated but it also proves that they are pretty smart Mm -hmm. they're 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 smart and the fact that they've got the same brain they always have the same idea like they know what each other is thinking without any sort of mental link because they're having the same idea because they are the same person. It's like you can't have an idea that the other one won't have. Mm-hmm. It's like that's that makes it a really cool fight scene for me because it's not about Shattuck, you do this, you do that. It's like I know what to do because you're just doing step A and I'm doing step B. Mm-hmm. It's like it's. I think that's a really awesome thing. But given another ten minutes, they would have been caught. Yeah. I do feel like it was a very good, um, a very good explanation for us of the way the, the yes. way that the Mola twins work, which makes me very optimistic that I'm going to be seeing a lot more of the Mola twins in the future. Yes, well, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will if they're not killed, but we'll see. Yep, because an apocalypse. Uh, the reason that fight ends without the twins getting defeated is because um, robot Rudy gets an apocalypse level priority message from Cecil and he knows that he's got to leave immediately and uh, get himself Mm. back to Guardian's headquarters. So that's where that fight ends. And what is that apocalypse level a priority? Well, Nolan came home and realized it's an empty house, except it's not an empty house, is it, Mike? Well, I mean, no. Definitely not empty. No. (laughs) No. Well, it doesn't have Mark and Debbie in it. It's exactly as empty as it was last time we saw the house when it was full of visible soldiers. (laughs) Yes. Yes, there are. Well, the problem is that Nolan realizes this time that there are invisible soldiers in there and he fucking murders them all. He, like, knocks one in half, like, uses the kitchen bench. He, like twists ones around at the spine and she's crawling away it's like it's he he goes hard ass motherfucker on these guys i remember seeing one yeah (laughs) seeing one that made me giggle was when he just fully body checks into one of them like imagine a hockey player like an ice hockey player uh just colliding into another ice hockey player like the goalie at subson at at supersonic speeds (laughs) so he just like Mm. fully body checks him chest to chest and holds onto the arm, and the rest of the body is just blown backwards away, and Omni-Man's left there holding the oh, arm. It's... And I had a bit of a giggle at that one. Um, but... It is. It's this weird, dark comedy of, of gore. It's like, ugh. Yeah. But he, he finds out, as a result of um, 
you know, his his fight in this situation. He finds out about the spy house that Cecil has had operating this, this entire time across the street, just, you know, a neighbouring house full of spy equipment mm-hmm. where Donald is hanging out. So Omni-Man goes in there and kills all of them as well. And um, Well, no, he doesn't. Actually, some of them get away. Yeah, yeah. Donald, Donald buys, him t- buys them time to get away. Yeah, Donald, true hero, uh, manages yeah. to, you know, um, tie up Omni-Man, you know, metaphorically speaking, you know, not physically tie mm-hmm. him up, but managing to distract him long enough uh, with some powerful enough items uh, to allow the, um, you know, the... The analysts, I guess. Analysts, yeah, let them get away. And then he came cousins as Omni-Man's about to do him in, uh, Donald's final words. Oh, well, he's already done him in. He just, Omni-Man kind of punched him in the back. He's clearly like grabbed his spine or mm. something. And it feels like he's like a he's moment a away from just like ripping. Yeah, and it feels like, oh, I'm just going to tear you apart with his bare hands. He just wants to gloat a little bit first. And Donald's just like, it's been an honor serving you. He's like, who the fuck are you talking to? And Donald hits the self-destruct button and the house goes up. Mm-hmm. And um, so I I love that. It's like fucking badass, Donald. Oh, yeah. Sure. You get that one line in. And the next thing you see is uh, it, it actually not. Um, that reminds me of the scene. Spoilers for the very first Avengers movie, um, where mm. Loki kills Phil Coulson. But Phil Coulson has one yeah. of these, um, you know, big uh, laser weapons uh, that nobody knows what they what these weapons do. But he has one, and he's as he's lying there dying, taking his last breaths. He fires his laser weapon shoots Loki clear through the wall of the uh, the airship that they're flying in. And then he sits there and he's panning, taking his last breaths. And he's like, so that's what that thing does. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, because yeah, Donald's basically the Phil Coulson <laughs> of the Invincible Universe. He was. He was. Unfortunately, Mark only met him once or twice, so he doesn't really get to avenge uh, Donald's death. Mm. But this whole explosion... Um, they were hoping might slow Nolan down. They're aware it can't kill him. And when the dust clears, it didn't even slow him down. Mm-hmm. He's he's not even dusty. He just like kind of looks around and goes, right. And flies off and Debbie's just like, oh shit. Because there's spy cameras everywhere, of course. They're looking like from a satellite camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and off he goes. Yeah. And I really kind of... When I first saw that happen, you know, the, the explosion happened and then Nolan's not hurt at all. Um, I really started to get that feeling of, all right, Cecil now has to know that he's fucked up. And uh, oh, yeah. but then you see Cecil and he's just like, uh, I thought it was going to be a bit better than that, but oh well, on to step two. And Cecil has just got plan after plan after plan after contingency after contingency. And um, that was just that that house that self-destructed on, on Omni-Man was just tip of the iceberg. And that is largely oh, yeah, why total tip of the iceberg. my favorite character from this episode, I'll pick it now, my favorite character from this episode is definitely oh, Cecil, yeah. for being the man with a plan and 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 a plan <laughs> and ongoing. <laughs> there are always backup plans when it comes to Cecil. Mm-hmm. That apocalypse level priority message that Cecil had sent to Robot, he had sent to all mm. those new guardians, you know? Um, yes. Robot plus Rex, the dick, plus Duplicate, plus Shrinking Ray, plus Black Samson, all the rest of them. Um, he basically told them all, get back to Guardian headquarters, lock it down, yeah. fucking stay there. 
don't move yeah don't reveal yourselves don't get involved stay quiet and wait for further instructions and they don't like that um they didn't like hearing they that do not um that was like having they a D party where the innkeeper says now don't you go leave in your rooms during your long rest period you don't want to see what's going on <laughs> down here you do what you're told the party's not staying in that room that night and that's when they discover the morris dancing troupe down the bottom mm-hmm. it's uh, <laughs> it's like yeah you didn't want to leave your rooms it's just it's just not pretty down here that's it but you choose the behavior you choose the consequence <laughs> I also love that this is when Rudy shows up um, and all the Guardians are like, who the fuck are you? And Rex in particular is like, why do you look like me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which would freak the hell out of you. And he kind of explains what's, oh yeah, he's like, no, no, we're too busy to explain now. And Rex is like, no, 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 you explain now. Yeah. You explain now what the fuck is going on. <laughs> so, and yeah, uh, I like, love it. It's, it's another little bit of a... Um a little bit of insight into the character of Robot as a personality. Now, Rudy. Yeah. Because uh, assuming that we can take what he says as truth and we don't really have any reason not to right now, um, you know, he says he came back as a um, as a young, uh, young Rex because, A, he noticed that Monster Girl was attracted to Rex and that's not mm-hmm. so cool. Um, and I think that's so noble. But then he goes on to say that I chose a young body because, you know, um, Monster Girl, you're stuck in as a prisoner in your own body as well. That gets younger every single time you access your powers. Uh, so I figured out a way to get out of the prison of my body so that I can help you find a way to get out of the prison of yours. And it felt good. Like the way that it, that was presented in the show, because, you know, it was... You know, everybody had happy smiles on their face. There was like a, a heartwarming soundtrack going on in the background. And the show leads us to believe that's a good, heroic, noble little moment for him there. Cool. Isn't but they? if you take out that happy music in the background, in the event, actually, a good example, you watch a sitcom, you watch something like Seinfeld mm. or Scrubs or Friends or whatever, and or actually Big Bang Theory is uh, Big Bang Theory Big is Bang a very very example. strong one for this, right? You take out the laugh track, and it's not cool. You know what I mean? No, it's people being mean to each other. Yeah, yeah. You take out the the canned laughter, and uh, yeah, it's a completely different and not a positive message at all. That's how I felt about that moment <laughs> with Rudy explaining his actions. Hey, I became young again because. Uh, I know that Monster Girl's attracted to this body and I want to help uh, her resume aging in a normal space again. It's like, wait, oh, wait, yeah. no, 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 no. The grooming begins. That's not cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Look, he's actually 30 and she's actually 24. It's fine. It's fine, man. There was an article online about it. That reminds no, me he's of the way there was a guy in uh, there was a guy in Germany that was trying to legally change his age so that he could match with younger women on Tinder because he was like yes I saw that yeah, as well. he was like sixty and he wanted to identify as forty so he went to court and said I feel younger than my years so I want you to re like you know change my date of birth to make me forty years old and I don't I don't know what the outcome of that court case was I'm assuming they laughed it out of court but his reason for that I'd was he that wanted well. to match with younger women on Tinder. 
identifying as a different age is a very, very strange and impossible topic. And I don't want to go anywhere near it right now. <laughs> well, I was reminded of in uh, one of the Transformers films where Mark Wahlberg's daughter's boyfriend carries around a card where he's got the state sh- the state's rules about dating someone under 18 to go, no, no, it's legal. It's fine, dude. It's okay. Oh, it's no. Like, mm, mm, you really shouldn't have to carry around a card. Michael Bay. <laughs> God, was it Michael yeah, Bay? Look, we're not going to get it. We're not going to get it. Yeah, it was Michael Bay Transformers. We're not going right. to get it. The whole Transformers thing. Hopefully, no one picks Transformers to do later. <laughs> uh, as we'll get back to the main plot of now. This is a, this is a super creepy scene, actually, because Will's still driving home from you know telling Mark off, and he kind of sees the explosion of this house, and then Omni Man just boom drops down beside him, and is like, "Hey, Will, where's Mark?" He's like, um, um, I don't, I don't know. And then Nolan just thumps the top of the car and there's an invisible dent. You were supposed to drop him off an hour ago. Yeah. It's like, it's, and he's like, he, he went and saw Eve and it's like, it's so fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. It's like, just even before he thumps the car, just that aspect of your friend's dad suddenly showing up and being that angry at you. Mm-hmm. For not knowing where you where his kid is, it's like wh- I was scared for Will. I knew what happens in the comics, and I was scared for Will in this in this scene. Oh, totally. So I thought, oh, great, he's just going to fucking kill Will when he doesn't tell him properly. As like, Ur. is that what happens in the comics? Um, I can't remember what happens in the comics in this <laughs> scene. I think there's a threat, but it's oh, okay. it's it's dealt with in a similar manner. But then Nolan's was like, cool. I guess I find Eve then, and. Whew, flies off and Mark's just like I'm gonna go find Eve and he does he thinks he's gonna get something different when he confides with Eve but he gets much of the same as that conversation that he had earlier with with Will where you know Eve was basically just like you know sure okay I told you to keep your identity from a secret at the start but you had five months and you didn't have to be such an asshole about you know keeping a secret and lying to her all the time I mean you should have figured that out by yourself by now I mean for fuck's sake Mark get your life in order you know and um yeah. and then shit starts happening they start seeing explosions in the sky and all this sort of stuff starts happening and Mark's well, just like there's I quit, a reason why there's problem. an explosion in the sky yeah yeah yeah, he's like, I, I quit, not my problem. Because Nolan is closing in on them. I can't remember. He, like, he kind of knows where Eve is. Yeah. And uh, Cecil's noticed this and has just said, look, we need to buy them time. We need to to make sure that Mark's on our side. We're going to call for the hammer and basically orbital lasers Nolan from, from space. Mm-hmm. He just fires this laser down and smacks him to the ground. And that was really yeah. cool. That was like that scene. That was awesome. Was like almost like a carbon copy of a scene from the Akira um, animated movie from like decades ago, um, where Akira, you know, the anime, um, super powerful Tetsuo, um, you know, the the Japanese defense Japanese self defense force have no idea how to stop a guy that's that powerful, but they just so happen to have super advanced technological giant lasers of death. To be, to, to be fired from space so they try it Who and doesn't? it takes off one of his arms to the credit of that technology it you know t- it um de-limbs uh tetsuo with one of them um and before he flies up and uses his powers to destroy the satellite it doesn't quite take off one of omni-man's uh arms what does it do to omni-man <laughs> it gives him a nosebleed 
Mm-hmm. That's um. That's two shots. I will point out that they use. Mm-hmm. That there's they fire at him twice. The first time they just kind of blow up everything around him, like birds, farmland, trees, everything. It's like a nuclear blast. He's okay, and he goes after the satellite, and he they fire again, but he's already up there, and he starts beating the shit out of the satellite. And they get all these spy cameras on him. Like the satellite explodes and that's what they see in the sky. And he's just standing there and just like one drop of blood. Mm-hmm. And he's like, right. And he spots the cameras too. And he's like, destroy that as well. And then he's back down again. It's like, that's the thing that you can nuke him from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. It, it's not the only way to be sure. He mm-hmm. will walk it off. So he's like, it's really building up that... He resumes, yeah. And whilst uh, Cecil is um, struggling to get together some teleporters in order to be able to get to Mark and Eve, um, he he needs to keep slowing down Omni-Man. So he's like, all right, plan C. Bring out the next one, please. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So. Oh, well, no, no. The next one is him. He's the one that goes next. Is it? I thought it was the other one. Yeah, no. Cecil's the next one that out. He goes out and he's teleporting around okay. and he goes to have a discussion with Nolan about it. And he's like, man, I thought we were friends. Oh, yeah. And he's just like, why did you kill them? And every time Nolan is just there and then he just does the super speed to try to smack Cecil in the face who teleports to somewhere else, like just out of reach. And a couple of times he almost gets hit. But it's just constantly saying, look, why did you do it? Why did you do it? Debbie doesn't know why you did it and kind of reveals, you know, he's got Debbie too. And what I love is that um, Cecil's just like, does Mark know you're a murderer? And that really clicks. That really sets Nolan off. And he, he almost grabs Cecil. Like he gets him by the tie before he can teleport out this time. He actually gets to get a hand on him. And Cecil's like, okay. So that bought us enough time for the next attack. Mm-hmm. Now, this Which, is what I thought well, it was, like, straight away. Yeah. <laughs> the clones. This is where the cyborgs... Cyborgs, not yep. clones. Bring in, bring in the cyborgs. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like Sinclair. Was it Sinclair? I can't remember. Generic evil scientist guy from the last episode who's still got a broken jaw from where Mark smacked him one. He has been adapting some of the dead soldiers. Well, we hope they were dead before... He got these hands on them, mm-hmm. and they they swarm Omni Man. Now these things, they just like leap. These things seemed to be a definite step up uh, from the ones in the last episode. Hey, um, these ones oh, yeah. just seemed more vicious, more powerful, stronger, faster. Um, they were also like biting, like trying to bite Omni Man's face off and whatnot as well. Like they were just completely vicious. And um, remembering that um, just one of these was trouncing Mark in a fight last episode, three of these upgraded in the bodies of soldiers who actually knew how to fight, three of them um, launch themselves and begin fighting with Omni-Man. And they, 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 give, they, they have a good go at it as well. Like, um, he doesn't get out of this one um, unscathed, hey? Like, I feel, I feel no, they yeah. definitely got their licks in. They certainly slow him down, and I feel that it's more of a case of if you get hit enough times, the concussive force, just the the general, I the kinetic energy will push you backwards. He doesn't actually feel it; he's not getting hurt, but it's enough to to delay him. 
I feel like he, uh, I because he, he feels does. it when they start trying to literally bite his face off. <laughs> like, you know, the, yeah, the that's cheek true. distends and everything. And it's like, Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if, if anything's going to hurt this guy, that will, surely. Yeah, I think that's exactly the thing. It's like, it's starting to hurt his pride too. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's the thing that Mark, Mark had problems with one of these and he needed help when it was three on one. Omni-Man, not so much. He does not need any help at all. He takes them out. So what we've learned from this is Mark is useless. Oh, yeah, yeah. 100%. I feel like I learned that a few episodes ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we learned that in episode two, most likely. <laughs> uh, but again, this is just more delaying tactics from Cecil uh, because it's time for the Hail Mary play. Oh, Hail Mary. Why would you use those words? Please tell me. Well, that's because we're getting kaiju. Mm-hmm. We're getting the last chance that Cecil has in line. The only thing that we've seen in this series so far to actually make a dent in Omni-Man at all. And we didn't even get to see the fight. This is the, the kaiju from episode three. Maybe it was episode four. It was a while ago. Yeah, and it's actually called where, Hail Mary as well. Um, yeah, so that's what Cecil they named it Hail Mary. It. I'm assuming that, you know, this this kaiju has probably got a lot more page time in the books uh, than screen time in the uh, in the show. Uh, because I feel like if they gave it a name and they made a big deal out of it being the thing that nearly beat Omni-Man already, I'm assuming that in the comics they probably had some time dedicated to, you know, this kaiju as, as a threat and, you know, how Omni-Man mm. dealt with it at the time. I'm guessing. Maybe I'm bit. wrong. But... Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is the um, they have no way to control this kaiju at all. All they can do is just yeah. set it free and just you know hopefully it attacks the right thing. And luckily, this is a kaiju yeah. that's intelligent enough to hate Omni Man, so they just teleport into a place where it can see Omni Man, and the fight begins. And um, it, it does begin. Not only is it is it angry at Omni Man, but they have given it every drug imaginable. They have made it even angrier. They have just made hey, like let's roid it up and give it roid rage as well, and let's see how Omni Man does against that version of the kaiju. I love, and I also love that this is when the news helicopter starts showing up. It's like before there were just weird explosions and people went to investigate, but like now it's Omni Man fighting a kaiju. We need to we need to get this on the news. Oh yeah. And um, it's at this time, as uh, as the kaiju fight is going on, and Omni Man actually starts getting the worst of it. Right, Omni Man is is one hundred percent on the back foot of this fight as we're seeing this happen. Um, but that is when we see Eve and Mark um, actually reach Omni Man because you know Eve had seen those satellites exploding in space and all this sort of stuff going on. And when Mark was like, I quit, I don't want to be a hero anymore. I lost Amber. It's not worth it anymore. Wah. Then Eve was just like, you know, fuck you, Mark, you useless sack of shit. I'm going to go out there and be a hero because it's the right thing to do. You go you go sit here, cry me a river, build a bridge, get over it, and she flies away. And so then Mark is just yeah. like, oh, okay, you've shamed me into it. All right. So he, he goes and he joins her. And then they find that it's Omni-Man fighting a kaiju at that stage. So Mark mm-hmm. joins the fight. And they begin to try and start taking on the kaiju. And it's a very, very even fight at that stage. Um, but while all this is happening, back to the Mola twins. 
because what they're yeah. doing remember these guys super important um the bowler twins who it just is. had the uh had their what they would have seen as a very frustrating interaction uh with robot slash rudy um in that they bring out the corpse of a mortal another um another superman adjacent kind of superhero one of the victims that omni-man killed uh one of the leaders of the guardians of the galaxy that omni-man killed in the first episode um they staple his neck back together and hey it's the immortal his whole superpower is that you know he doesn't die you know so i'm, I'm assuming that it's as simple as they put his body back together he resurrects and then they put that slave collar thing that um robot paid him with the schematics for they put that around his neck thinking that they're going to be able to control him when he wakes up anyway he wakes up he doesn't wake up it turns out that that slave collar wasn't worth a damn right and it no. fizzles out immediately and immortal, um, immortal tears it off and he flies to the roof just screaming out omni man i'll kill you oh I love this sequence. It's so cool. Because not only does he do all this stuff, we get the flashes of his his past lives, of him being a knight and possibly Abraham Lincoln and then a superhero. And then we get him to see being murdered by Nolan and then he wakes up. So yes, yes, he is furious at Omni-Man. It's like he's got one reason to live right now and that's fucking murder Omni-Man. Mm-hmm. And particularly because even in the first episode, he didn't trust him that much. So now he's got a very good reason not to trust him. Oh, for sure. So he goes ahead and he flies and he manages to find where this fight's happening. So Omni-Man is starting to see his um, his house of cards really is tumbling down now. Um, yeah. You know, well, see, here's the thing. Everything's starting to, to come crumbling down and... He does tell the truth to Mark. Mark's come over and he's like, what's going on? What's going on? And Nolan's like, Cecil sent this thing against me. Mm -hmm. And I love this moment because what's Mark going to do? It's like, that is the truth. But that's not the reason why this thing was sent against him. It's like, well, which side are you going to pick, Mark? Mm -hmm. Are you going to help your dad who just said, hey, your boss is evil? Or are you going to trust your boss who, for some reason, is attacking your dad? Mm Mm-hmm. I love it. I thought it was cool. And then Omni-Man comes out of nowhere and he's trying to kill... I mean, sorry, Immortal comes out of nowhere at that very moment and attacks Omni-Man. And um, further adding to Mark's confusion. Um, And then at that moment, Cecil gets Eve on the phone and he's just like, Eve, Mm -hmm. get out of there. Get out of there. Get Mark. Leave. Right? You've got to go. But she's hopelessly confused as well. She doesn't have any idea what's going on either. So the entire scene just kind of devolves into Immortal versus Omni-Man smashing on in another part of the stratosphere, which really gives me, you know, Man of Steel vibes when it was Superman versus General Zod. Oh, yeah. um, and you've got uh, Mark versus the Kaiju, who's getting absolutely fucking pasted until he manages to dig up an electrical wire from underground and uh, shock the kaiju into submission then. Um, Eve basically is sitting there paralysed in confusion when she's got Cecil on the phone, screaming at her, get Mark, get out. And then um, during this fight between Immortal and Omni-Man, 
um, you know, immortals, you know, screaming at him the entire time. Why did you do this? Why? Why did you? We trusted you. You betrayed us. You should have stayed dead. Kills him again. Like it well, was a super cool death scene. It was a super cool death. Scene. It's a, it's it's awesome. Well, see, that's the thing. He punches his hand right through through the immortal's chest like his hand is out the back of him that doesn't even kill him yet the immortal tries to eye gouge him after that he's like no no i'm i am too angry to die right now and he goes for the eyes and this is actually when we see um, we see nolan start to go well this hurts him the eyes are a weak point that um we we saw earlier with the molar twins when they got shot in the eye that was like a, a big deal so now the eyes of the weak point is he tries to gouge him she just goes fuck it and tears the immortal in half and that's when he kills him and just drops him to the ground raining blood as the news copters watch and film and broadcast to the entire fucking world yep now the world knows mark knows debbie now knows well i suppose cecil already told her but everybody now knows Everyone knows Nolan. And yeah, so Nolan turns to Mark and he says a few short words. Mark. We need to talk. Roll credits. No post-credit scene at all. That's where the show leaves us. Holy fuck, that is a penultimate episode and no mistake. It's like, how do you top that? Well, we know how we top that. It's Oh, and next it's episode. It's a big episode next week. Next episode yeah. does top it, I'll say. Yeah, it's a pretty big one. I mean, we, co- we covered a lot earlier. Um, I mean, I think the only thing that's really left to do for this episode of the podcast is to talk about the characters we'd make into an NPC or PC in our RPG game. And you spoke about Cecil earlier. That was your favorite character for the, for this episode. How would you make them into uh, a character in one of your games? Would they be a PC or would they be like the boss that's giving you the missions? Um, I would ha- definitely have him as a, a, a background NPC. Um, something, yeah. Somebody that the players wouldn't have too much interaction with until they get to a high level. I, I see Cecil as the kind of person um, that will be controlling things from a uh, much, much higher level, you know? Leader of the Flaming Fists or, um, you know, the, yeah. the Helm of Talos or, you know, um, you know, someone high up in, in, a, in a, like, um, the Harpers or uh, the Zentari or whatever they're called. But Zentatum. Cecil, as the concept of what Cecil is, it would be somebody that the players would hear about a lot um, but never meet, never interact with directly until the players really begin to build their own reputations and gain their levels. And uh, they might um, possibly have interactions with someone like his level much later on in a campaign. Yeah. The Interesting. The, the NPC that I really want to create out of the episode, though, uh, is Immortal, oh, for sure. Um, oh, yeah. I would definitely create the Immortal as, a, as an NPC still, um, hmm. not as a player character, but as an NPC, as a mixture of a revenant and an angel. Um, I kind of see, I kind of see this this idea being really cool, and it's somewhat similar to an idea I've already used in one of my own games, where um, 
the immortal, I mean, the Revenant is clearly a um, considered to be an evil spirit uh, that yeah. is drawn back uh, from the dead purely for the purpose of getting revenge on the person or entity that killed it. Um, and, you know, an angel, we all know what an angel is, just that in D&D, there's a couple of types of angels that are much more uh, militaristic and, um, you know, hands-on in their approach of dealing with the forces of evil. So I see Immortal um, as a cool NPC in terms of being a persistent revenant and angel multi-class almost, or multi-creature class. Um I don't know who would necessarily be getting revenge against all the time, uh, but he'd be super angry all the time for sure. And super powerful. <laughs> Which is very much the Immortals bread and butter. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that'd be a really cool piece. <laughs> There'd be a lot of storylines to get into that. Oh, for Whereas sure. my, my pick uh, for this episode is in fact the Molar Twins, uh, which I would make them NPC villains. And I do it specifically because they are that single mind in two bodies, or I should say two minds, two bodies, but the same mind in two bodies. Because you could have, in D&D, there is the clone spell, which is the idea that at a certain power level, if you die, your mind just wakes up in a different body, which you can create um, at various ages. Basically, you're just transferring your consciousness over. It's very that altered carbon thing. I love the idea of like a simulacrum um, where you've created this clone that can work with you. Like there's a really cool scene in Dollhouse, which kind of works as well, where you're at Dollhouse is the idea that you can download your brain and put it into another body and you can give them experiences. And essentially to solve one problem, the, the tech guy puts his own consciousness into one of these other bodies. So there's two of him working on the problem at the same time. And it's, it's kind of cool. And I like that as a villain here. I wonder yeah. if you cast Simulacrum, yeah, the the body of the Simulacrum that is created for the spell. If that body dies, what happens to it? Uh, it dis- dissolves into snow, if I remember correctly, or Damn water, it. which is what it's created from. So you can't cast uh, can't cast Gentle Repose to keep it around and possibly revivify it later. You cannot. However, there is a storyline or an adventure line in um, Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostmaiden, where a simulacrum has had their wizard die and they're holding on to existence through magic. And essentially, if you can find a certain magic item, they get to be the, a real boy again. Mm-hmm. They get to be flesh and blood and they can create their own simulacrums and basically become, hey, I'm human now. It's cool. But I like that idea that you're dealing with a villain and you never know whether it's a clone or not. It's always going to be the same individual and you're dealing with two of them. So you do have that teamwork of one one knowing what the other one is going to do and predict. And if you kill one of them, he's just going to bring him back the other one back as a clone. Mm. So you really have, and they're both super powerful and tough. So you really do have to take, you might be powerful enough to take one out if you're, um, if you catch them by surprise, but taking both of them out at once. So you really have to kind of coordinate the attacks to, we're going to distract this one and then launch another strike and take out the second one before he gets a chance to clone his body and get his brother back. Mm. So I, and the fact that they're super intelligent as well, it makes it really cool. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of elements I'd like to use from the Mauler twins in, in a, an RPG. Totally. But 
this has been a big episode i feel hopefully you've um you've been on the the roller coaster with us all this way but join us next week for the ultimate episode of invincible season one where i really come from uh so tune in next week you can find us on podbean uh dnd and tv pod.podbean.com we're also on spotify and and all the other places podcasts are found we'd love it if you subscribe if you tell your friends about it if they liked invincible and they like role-playing games hey get on get on the <laughs> get on the podcatchers and then check us out but mike where can people catch you around the internet uh the best place to find me and the place where you can find my about page and all my links to my socials is my twitch page at twitch.tv forward slash dr underscore chops that's dr chops with an underscore and you can find the podcast at dndntvpod at gmail.com if you want to send us emails or the same thing at dndntvpod on Twitter and Instagram. So until next time, be kind to yourselves and may all your hits be crits. <laughs>